You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org. Does God like it when we sing? In this episode, Lance reads from Psalm 47 and teaches about what it means to praise the Lord. Let's listen. Would you turn to a psalm this morning? It is the 47th psalm. Psalm 47. Psalm 47. O clap your hands, all ye peoples, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord, most high, is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He subdueth peoples under us, and nations under our feet. He chooseth our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob, whom he loved. God is gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises unto our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the nations. God sitteth upon his holy throne. The princes of the peoples are gathered together to be the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. This is a a gem of a psalm. I think it takes only the most superficial reading of this 47th psalm to immediately become aware of the fact that it is a psalm of praise. Wherever you turn, you find that. Verse 1, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Or verse 6, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. Four times we are exhorted by the psalmist who has almost been carried out of himself. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. And then again, verse 7, Sing ye praises with understanding, just in case there may be some misunderstanding over this matter. Sing ye praises with understanding. Well, now, you cannot get away from the fact that there is something here quite remarkable, quite apparent. We're not just ask to murmur a few words of uh, appreciation in some highly decent 
way, but we are told to let ourselves go in worship. We are, as it were, so to have been taken hold of by the Lord uh, that we just simply, something comes out. Clap your hands. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Not shout unto God with the voice of noise, but shout unto God with the voice of triumph. I don't know, I suppose now, this age is one, but I don't know how many of you saw VE Day. But those of you who saw VE Day and can remember it and VJ Day, VE Day, for those of you who are youthful, meant victory in Europe. And VJ Day was victory over Japan. My, the way the people shouted. They clapped their hands. They shouted with the voice of triumph. Everyone was carried away. Uh, in this country, of course, the only time people really get carried away, it seems, is either at football or rugby matches, or in the now very usual demos. When people shout and make a noise and rattle rattles and blow whistles and generally make a fool of themselves. I suppose it's quite true that even the most quiet little gentlemen, I have not been to many matches, but the few that I have been to, I have always been more interested with the spectators than with the players. Because there you have some dear little man that you think you would see in the gas board, on the other side of the counter, who looks perfectly inoffensive. And you wouldn't say, you would say, boo to the goose, and there he is, yelling himself hoarse. Or you've got someone else who you see in the train with a bowler hat and a rolled umbrella, and seems to be absolutely inhibited in every way, and he's sort of shouting his, his head off so that the veins in his neck stand out. It is quite incredible. People get carried away. Now, it's no good just saying, oh, they just like to make a noise. No, they don't. That's not the point. That's just, that is the point we want to get at. The fact is, they have seen something. They're involved in something. Their side is winning. Or they're going to make sure it does. And therefore, they are going to, as it were, bring the heavens down uh, uh, in support of their side. Now, this is the atmosphere of this psalm. It is not just a question of making a lot of noise, of singing a lot of songs. Do you honestly believe that God is interested in people sitting around singing hymns everlastingly? Some people's idea, of course, of heaven is that, that they're going to sit up there and just sing everlastingly one long community hymn singing session without stop. But God is not interested in people singing songs or making music or shouting, or making a noise, or falling around, or clapping their hands. He's not the least bit interested in that. Why Buddhists can do that, Hindus can do it, Muslims can do it, Spiritists can do it, everyone can do it if they want to. 
God is not interested in that kind of thing. What God is interested in is eyes that see something and hearts that understand so that we are so involved in what is happening, so riveted to what God is doing, that then we can clap our hands and it's from the heart. It's an expression of something that comes right from the heart. We've seen something so utterly glorious. Now, you know as well as I do that the most sedate and the most um, uh, seemingly inhibited people can be greatly moved when they see something. I suppose I find nothing more moving than to see someone who normally is very um, reserved and very quiet weeping. Have you ever... I think the most terrible thing to see a man crying. Oh, no, I don't mean some of those spineless creatures, but I mean when you really see someone that you and you see them weeping, then I personally start to cry myself. Not because of what they're crying about, but because they're crying. Because somehow or other, it is um, when a person like that is moved, it can't help but move you. It is an infectious thing. Now, what is this psalm all about? Well, it's not about clapping your hands, and it's not about shouting uh, aloud, and it's not just about singing. What is it about? Here it is. It is about the absolute sovereignty of the Lord. The absolute sovereignty of the Lord. Look at it. Verse 2. For the Lord. For. There's the cause. The cause of this clapping of the hands. This cause for the shout of triumph is for the Lord most high is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Not just over Israel. Not just over the promised land. But over all the earth. He is a great king over all the earth. Look at verse 7. For God is the king of all the earth. Again, verse 8. God reigneth over the nations. God sitteth upon his holy throne. And the last phrase of verse 9, for he is greatly exalted. This psalm is all to do with the sovereignty, the absolute sovereignty of our God, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's what this matter of the kingdom is really all about. When we speak of the kingdom, this word kingship or kingdom, whatever you like, you know, it's such a difficult word to put into English. Why? Because the Greek word is somehow in between our word king and kingdom. It's not just the people ruled or the territory ruled over, and it's not just the one who rules, but it's in between. So... I think it was Brother Sparks who once said, kingship is the word we ought to use. And I think that's true, although even that doesn't fully and completely uh, cover this matter. What we really mean by the kingdom of God is the throne of God, the kingship of God, the sovereign rule of God. We have been born into that sovereign rule. Have you ever realized that? We are directly under the sovereign rule of God. We've been born into the kingdom by a new birth. We are those who are subjects 
of this king. We are in touch with the throne. We can come at any time we want to the throne of grace directly and touch the throne. We can come right into the very presence of the king himself. Well, now, I say that is absolutely wonderful. And there is no question about this king being possibly defeated. There is no question at all uh, as to the possibility of his being um, uh, paralyzed Overcome, frustrated, hindered, obstructed, not at all. This is what this psalm is about. It says, don't you worry. The Lord, he is the king of the, all the earth. And even evil is working out his plan. Even those forces, those dark and satanic forces, are somehow being woven together into God, the outworking of God's purpose. Why, those people in the old days, they had Egypt on one side, they had Babylon on the other side, they had Persia a little farther off, they had the Roman Empire uh, away. It hadn't started yet, but all these great forces were around them. Do you think that you could say, God, he is king over all the earth? When the Babylonians were the greatest empire? And when little Israel was nothing? But that's when this has been written, and that's for our comfort, today when we have the Kremlin and the White House and Peking and I don't know what else. Great visible forces, powers, governments, atheist, agnostic. As we shouldn't say that of the White House, but still. We know that even so there's an awful lot of dirt in politics handling of situations. Countries like Hungary and Czechoslovakia can be sold. And we don't know anything about it. And the same with the Middle East and Israel and so on. Well, never mind. The great thing is, who is Lord? Is Satan Lord? Did not the Lord Jesus Christ say the prince of this world is cast out? Does not the word of God say that the Lord Jesus through death brought to naught him who has the power of death? Does not the word of God say that Christ was manifested to destroy the works of the devil? Does not the word of God say that uh, he stripped those principalities and powers naked, making a show of them openly, triumphing over them through his cross? The absolute sovereignty of the Lord. Now, the second thing I just want you to note about this psalm is that the ascension of our Lord is the glorious evidence of this sovereignty. And you have that, of course, in verse 5. Now, nearly every commentator uh, who is a believing commentator um, has pointed out that this psalm is really the psalm of the ascension. It is the, the ascension day psalm. God is gone up with a shout, the Lord, with the sound of a trumpet. What an extraordinary thing for a psalmist to say, God is gone up. <laughs> to say that God has come down, that would make sense to us human beings. But what an extraordinary statement to say that God is gone up. Where has he gone? God is gone up. With a shout, 
Here is a prophecy concerning the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you think about it, this matter of the ascension of the Lord Jesus is so often overlooked. What does it say about the ascension of our Lord Jesus? Why, that was, if you like, the top stone in his work. It was the final and eternal seal and vindication of God the Father upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore he ascended on high and led captivity captive. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. He has led captivity captive. And then again it says, from this place he filleth all things. He is invincible. Far above all principalities and powers and every name that is named, not only in this world but in that which is to come. And he has made him head over all things to the church and placed all things in subjection under his feet. All this is the ascension. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Here is the glorious evidence for the sovereignty of God. When Satan did everything in his power through history to avert, to frustrate God's redeeming purpose, why, it goes right back to before Moses, right back to before Abraham. The devil was, had his eye on the chosen seed. And all the way through history, he did everything in his power to destroy that seed, to compromise it, to make the Lord forsake it, somehow or other, to avert this redeeming purpose of God. For remember, Satan may not have all knowledge, but he heard the words directly to him, Thy seed shall bruise the seed of the womb. He knew that. Some of the old commentators have said, rightly or wrongly, but this is for the ladies to take away and think about, that one of the reasons for the degradation of women, their bondage over the very much larger centuries of human history, has been Satan's implacable hatred of the woman. Because of that word, seed of the woman. So he has sought in every way possible to degrade and devalue the status of womanhood. Well, be that as it may. Perhaps we're going the other way today. Um, but uh, the fact is, certainly, the centuries of history bear that out. Now then, let's come back to this. When the Lord Jesus was born, you know how the devil tried to destroy him. First through Herod, and then again and again through life. He passed through them again and again when they would have stoned him to death when they would have killed him, when they would have laid their hands on him, all the way through. You know the pressures that came upon him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat drops, as it were, of blood, as all hell tried to stop him from going to the cross to avert that redeeming purpose of God. You know even on the cross the, temp the temptations of the enemy, the temptations to unbelief, the whispering work of the enemy. We get it only in that cry, my God, my God. God, why hast thou forsaken me? But the enemy failed. For the Lord Jesus cried out that triumphant word, finished, and it was done. And that very moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two by the hand of God. The way into God's presence, into the kingdom of God, 
into the family of God, into the salvation of God, was opened not only to his Jewish people, but to all the nations and tribes and races of the world. Now when the Lord Jesus came back from the dead, he came back with the blood of an everlasting covenant. He came back as the great shepherd of the sheep. He came back as we've sung in that hymn with the foiled usurper's crown in his hands. He had taken it from Satan and he comes back to whom all the earth rightly belongs. He is the king of all the earth, not Satan. Now Satan, it, it, it is certainly true, is going around knowing that his time is short and doing everything that he possibly can to undermine and avert this. But listen, the devil never attacks unassailable facts. He knows them. He knows that Jesus Christ has ascended on high. He knows that he has led captivity captive. He knows that he is king of all the earth. He knows that in his name, everything in heaven, on earth, and in hell must bow the knee. The devil knows those things. He doesn't attack that. What he attacks is your and my faith in the facts. He whispers all the time, and I say, it's not true, it's not true. Why? Because he must alienate us from these unassailable facts. He can't touch the facts. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has risen far above all principality and power. The devil can't touch him anymore. He's in the place of absolute sovereignty. All of power and authority in his hands, both in heaven and on earth. That's why the Lord Jesus taught us to pray in that pattern prayer, not in necessary just the exact words, but thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Well now then, this ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ means that he has passed beyond the reach of the enemy, beyond the the sphere of satanic powers and authorities. And he has taken his place at the right hand of God, waiting till his enemies be made the footstool of his feet. Oh, if we could see it. Why your life and my life would be changed overnight if the eyes of our hearts could really see this fact. To see our ascended Lord. To see the fruits of his ascension. Oh, if we could only see it. The ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ is the glorious evidence that he is absolutely sovereign. No wonder the psalmist cries out, Oh, clap your hands, all ye peoples. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. Sing praises with understanding. Don't just sing a song. There are two ways of singing a hymn. One is to sing it as a hymn and the other is to sing it as an expression of something we've seen. There are two ways of making a noise. <clears throat> One is that it, uh, we can't help it. We just say, God be praised. Blessed be the Lord. We can even say a hallelujah, although I don't quite understand this hallelujah business because 
in, in Hebrew, it really just simply means, praise ye the Lord. It's, we're not talking to God when we say hallelujah, we're talking to one another. Most people don't seem to realize that. When you say hallelujah, I'm saying to all of you, hallelujah, praise you the Lord. All of you, praise the Lord. So all those hallelujahs in that hymn were, first we were saying, give to our God immortal praise. Praise ye the Lord, all of you. Hallelujah. But in our, <coughs> pardon, in our Canaanitish language, hallelujah has now become an expression of praise to God. I suppose he understands it. As such, but really it's addressed to one another. We're exhorting one another to praise the Lord when we say hallelujah. And rightly, rightly, you say something and you say, praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. Well, now, there's something, I think, tremendous. Now, what are, the, what are the consequences of this ascension of our Lord? Here we have it. In verse 3, He subdueth peoples under us. He chooseth our inheritance for us. The glory of Jacob, whom he loved. He subdueth peoples under us. That's the consequence of it. That means your boss, all the other difficult people who are with you in the office, or anyone else, he subdueth peoples under us. Why? Because he is sovereign. Because he has ascended on high, because he's led captivity captive. It's not to his glory that one of his chosen children should be in bondage. He subdueth peoples under us, as the Apostle Paul put it in his last chapter uh, of the Roman letter, and the God of peace himself shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Under your feet. How can we get these things under our feet? by taking our position in Christ. Now, you see, this is the whole problem we have. How do we try to get these satanic things and these human things and all these other frustrating problems? We try to tackle them horizontally. We try to get hold of them and drag them under our feet and put our feet on them. And we have a terrible job about it. They're like octopuses, or octopi, I suppose is the word. They just come up, you hack one arm off, and there are four more that come round you. You hack off two more, and there are still a few more. That's not the way. Shall I tell you how he subdueth peoples under us when you abide in Christ? Don't try to fight it yourself. Just say, I am in him in this situation. And these things are under his feet. And don't let the enemy draw you out to fight the, on the, or strive on the. Just stay there praising the Lord in him. And you will find that the whole situation will break as you really praise the Lord and abide in him. Because it's under his feet. The question is this. Are, is this situation under the Lord's feet? Is it or is it not? Has God lied to us? Is God a liar or is he true? If this situation is under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, you get into him and it's under your feet. <laughs> He's been made head over all things. Everything's been placed under his feet. Where are we? We are in his body and the body is between the head and the feet. 
We are in him. And that's exactly what it says in those verses, Ephesians 1, 21, 22, 23. It says that, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all, subdueth. Well, we must hasten on. Chooseth our inheritance for us. Oh, if we'd only let him. If we would only let him choose our inheritance. But we won't. We've even got our own ideas as to our spiritual career and, and course and purpose. We don't let him be sovereign in our lives. But if only we would. The consequence of his being, uh, having ascended on high is that he chooseth our inheritance for us. That means your husband, your wife, your family, your home. He's chosen it for you. Your job, your career, where you are, it's been chosen for you. He chooses. Don't argue with him. Come to terms with him in this matter. Don't think you know better than the Lord in these things. Let him choose your inheritance. The glory of Jacob. Now this word is a very difficult word. You will see in the most modern version it says the pride of Jacob. In the old authorized version it was the excellency of Jacob. In the revised version it is the glory of Jacob. The idea is this. He has chosen the things that make Jacob proud that give cause for Jacob to boast. He has chosen the things that are the, the, the glory of Jacob. If you would only let the Lord choose your inheritance, there would be glory. Oh, there would be just glory. But we don't, do we? <laughs> we don't. We argue with him, we fight with him, we frustrate him, we hinder him all the way through. My, what a problem the Lord has with his children. I was pruning a rose um, bush this day. <clears throat> no, not this day, but uh, this last week. And I was thinking to myself, thinking about pruning, I wonder if the Lord has as much trouble with me as I've got with this bush. <laughs> and I felt I heard a reply. <coughs> 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 the fact was, you know, everyone thinks it's so easy if any of you are starting with a garden and you put a few rose bushes in, you read those wonderful things in the, in the paper about how to prune a rose bush. It looks so simple, utterly simple. There you are, first you've got a bush before, then cut out the things inside, it's all cleaned out, and then the next is uh, how it's left in, and lastly you cut a few bits and that's how it should be in the end. It still looks so simple. Then you go out and look at a, th a rose bush. I remember the first time I went, I stood one hour in front of them looking at them, and then I came around and got Margaret out and said, now, Margaret, what do you think? It all seems so simple. But when you look at it, what it, you're not pruning it just as a job. You're pruning it to get something out of it. You've got its glory in view. You've got its beauty in view. You've got its fruitfulness in view. You don't want to harm it. I didn't, anyway. I stood there. If I had been just a person on a job like some of these council employees, I would have clip, 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 and it would have been done. But no, I was there because I had a love for the bushes. I didn't want to destroy them. So I stood in front of them thinking, what's the best, what's the best? Well, then I put my hand in and cut a few things and got a lot of thorns as I drew it out. You have a terrible job. You get in the bushes and then others get on behind you and clamor. Oh, how I thought, if the Lord has this trouble with his people, and surely he does. He puts his hand in and tries to clip out a few things that are destroying us, overcrowding us. Oh, my, does he get some thorns from us? 
Well, I only say it in passing. Verse 9. God's purpose, the consequence of this ascension of our Lord is that God's purpose is fulfilled. The princes of the peoples are gathered together to be the people of the God of Abraham. Isn't that wonderful? It means that God is choosing an elect people, calling out an elect people from every tongue and race and nation in the whole earth. And it's because he is Lord. That's why. And the devil hates him for it. And he hates us. It's because he is Lord, caught up to heaven, at the right hand of God the Father, that the devil knows he cannot stop this purpose being fulfilled of a, of, of a, of a chosen people being called out from every tongue and tribe and people. What a wonderful word it is for the shields of the earth belong unto our God. In the old days, in Babylon, Egypt, Assyria, Persia, when there was a great battle, they used to take the shields of the fallen and they used to plaster the walls of the palace with the shields. These were the trophies of victory. It is believed by some that some of the gold that covered the whole front of the temple was taken from the gold on the front of the shields of David's defeated enemy. Shields were most beautifully worked. For any of you who've been to the British Museum and seen some of the old shields or some of the other great museums, you know that those shields were the pride and joy of the regiment. They were most beautifully worked in silver and gold and brass, copper. The shields of the earth belong unto our God. What does that mean? It means they are trophies for the Lord. He's won the victory. Victory after victory, battle after battle, he's won it. And he's taken the shields from them and put them in his house. So all the walls are covered by the victories of God. That's what he did when he won the battle over you. Well then, what can we say? If we see all that, well the, how shall we, Cooperate with this king. How shall we advance his purpose? Here it is. Oh, clap your hands, all ye peoples. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph before you've triumphed. <laughs> Shout with the voice of triumph before you've triumphed. Because you have triumphed. Because he is ascended. So shout with the voice of triumph. Sing praise. Sing praises unto our God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Yes, you see, when we praise the Lord, we not only glorify our King, our Lord, and magnify His power and His grace, exalt His name, but we execute His will and we advance His purpose. That's exactly what happens. Oh, if only we could see that. Really see it. Uh, clearly see it. That uh, to praise the Lord from the heart as a result of having seen what God has done with our Christ. This is the way of executing the will of God in your personal life, in our life together, and in the purpose of God generally for the whole earth.
If we could see it like that, it would make a tremendous difference. Isn't that what the Lord tried to teach us through the lesson of Jehoshaphat? Why, when that great battle was going to take place the next morning, and when they were surrounded, and when everything was lost, the Lord said, don't you worry, stand still, set yourselves. This battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. So what did Jehoshaphat do when he had talked with the people? He set the choir in front. And do you know what the choir sang? Our God is the God of armies. Our God is the God of victory. No, they sang this. Praise the Lord, for his loving kindness endureth forever. And it said that when they began to sing, and it precisely says it, when the choir began to sing at the front of the armies, the Lord laid an ambush for Moab, Ammon, and Edom. And they all killed each other. And Judah never lifted a sword. Next day when they went out, there were the dead armies, dead bodies of the armies everywhere. It was done. Same thing with, with Jericho, wasn't it? When they went around the walls, the great cry, the great shout, the great trumpet and the shout, and the walls fell down. It was the shout of praise. Same with Gideon when he said, now everyone keep quiet, and then at one word from me, all 300 of you, smash the picture, pitcher, lift up the torch, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was the shout of praise. Many years ago, when I was only 14, I got told off for laughing myself silly in the Baptist church in which I was because I had sat in front of one of the choir members who was Swiss and who had been singing the hymn Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven at full blast as Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. Of course, being young and very irreverent, I laughed and laughed and got told off afterwards for laughing. But you know, that dear sister, she was right. When you prize the Lord, you praise him. The more you prize the Lord, the more you will praise him. And if you don't prize the Lord, your mouth will be shut. And then, to bring it right up to date, one had a card from an Austrian brother this last week. And in it he put at the end, Price the Lord. P-R-I-C-E. Price the Lord. And I thought to myself, that's it. Praise is the price we put on him. If he is exceedingly precious, we can't help but praise the Lord even if we're unworthy. We just have to say, well, Lord, leave me out of it, but you're wonderful. I can't say a thing in my own defense. I can't say a thing for myself. But you are absolutely wonderful. If we place a real price on him, I think we will praise him. May the Lord help us. Oh, clap ye your hands, all ye peoples. Shout with the voice of triumph. For the Lord, he is terrible. He is king of all the earth. Shall we pray?
Now, Lord, we pray together that thou wilt open our eyes to see our ascended, triumphant Lord Jesus. Father, do that. So that as we see him with the eyes of our hearts, Lord, we realize as never before that he is invincible. That, Lord, thy purpose will be fulfilled. And that not only that, but thou hast placed at our disposal in Christ all the resources and all the authority for the executing and realizing and the advancing of thy purpose in our personal lives, in our life together as thy people and in thy people generally. Help us, Lord, we pray in this matter and we ask it in the name of of our Lord Jesus. Amen. May you be one who prizes the Lord. May you learn to praise the Lord and not be hindered by unworthiness. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.